Hey, welcome to Flipping the Field, the college football podcast about all of college football. Uh, I'm Patrick Mayhorn. My co-host is Ryan Donnelly. Ryan, uh, what are we what are we doing here? Hey, Patrick. First of all, excited to be here. <laughs> first time, long time. Uh, yeah, first time, long time. Uh, look, so college football is a sport that we can celebrate in kind of all of its odds and ends. Uh, the oddities and unique little quirks of midnight kickoffs in Hawaii. Uh, 400-pound men who have been coaching since before the Nixon administration, begging 16-year-olds to come play for them in rural Arkansas, uh, student sections full of attendants that have been blacked out since 9 a.m., and third-string quarterbacks bragging about beating hospitalized children in video games 98-35, to 35, not 91, mm-hmm. are what we celebrate about the sport. It almost completely lacks the manicured and boring professionalism of the NFL, or the every game feels like a corporate PR event feeling of most professional sports. Even the same five teams seem to be in the top 10 every year with absolute certainty. The path they take to arrive there is so fun and weird and stupid that, uh, at least for us, we cannot help but fall in love with the sport. And why are we qualified to talk about all of this stuff? Are we? Hmm. Kind of. I think a little. I, th- I think at least like 75% qualified. Sure, sure. So I spent uh, five years as a recruiting analyst um, covering Ohio State and Pittsburgh football, uh, first for Rivals.com and then for uh, the briefly existing mm-hmm. uh, Land of Ten. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm familiar with the game from the recruiting side. Uh, I've been a college football fan for as long as I can remember. Um, I think both of us spend about 18 hours a day on Saturdays <laughs> watching college football. Just a despicable amount of time. Absolutely. Uh, just glued to my couch, uh, you know, 15 days <laughs> every single fall, not moving, uh, minimum. Um, so really, I think we're people who love college football, uh, both spend a lot of time working around the sport. I'm going to have you go through your own background here in mm-hmm. a second. Um, and really, I, I think it's just something we fall in love with and want to talk about in the ways that we love it. Um, I cover Ohio State as my my <clears throat> my day job, but I think more importantly for the sake of this uh, this podcast, uh, I write a thrice weekly film study newsletter about the good shit in college football, the the stuff that that I like, um, which is generally everything outside of the teams with money. I think I bring sort of a unique perspective to a national podcast like this because we're going to talk about everything, but if I'm being honest, I don't care about the national championship. I don't really care about the playoff. Um, I write mostly about G5 teams. I write about FCS teams, and uh, I think that that is a, a voice that is sort of sorely missing on the uh, the national podcast sphere. And uh, our, our goal here, as Ryan mentioned, is essentially to look at and talk about college football from a flipped perspective, hence the hence the name. Um, we're going to talk about everything, certainly, and that includes the big boys. But um, I know that I have a pretty big issue with the way that college football is covered, as does Ryan, and there really isn't an alternative out there. Um, you're really either going to get brain-dead ex-recruiting guys like Ryan or pedantic right. freaks at, every, at basically every turn. And we figured, um, why not just combine the two? Uh, so we get the, the ex-recruiting guys, we get the pedantic freaks, and then spend an hour every week talking about some of the most intricate college football topics imaginable. That's right. Uh, that sounds great to me. That's pretty much exactly what we do anyway in our free time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think we have group texts ourselves and a few other writers where we do this every week as it is. So why not at least uh, do it for fun and yeah. you know, put it down in recording? Um, so people can hear our dumb ideas uh, in audio format and yeah. forever. Why not turn this into an advertisement for, like, um, who, who are the people that advertise on podcasts? Quip. We can get the toothbrush yeah. people in there. Let's be clear. Our goal of this podcast is, to, one, we hate Brian Kelly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> two, we're going to sell you boner pills. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's what we're going for. Yeah, those are the two big ones. Yeah. So, look, uh, let's pretty much get into it here. Yeah, what um, are we doing today? We're going to talk about a couple different things here. 
Um, our first one is going to be about uh, the coaching carousel. Before we turn off the podcast, yeah. uh, this is not going to Please don't click away. We promise it's good. <laughs> this is not going to be talking about every single hire, or rather every single P5 hire that was made this year, and uh, you know, giving it a letter grade or anything like that. Uh, we're going to talk about coaches we loved, uh, coaches we hated, and, and the third one is uh, who's our guy. Yeah. I guess who's a, who's and it could be an assistant or a head coach that we just think is about to skyrocket to the coaching ranks and have a really great career. Um, and then after that, uh, we're going to do a program. It's going to become a recurring segment here. Uh, we call that fix a program. Uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. There are too many programs in college football who seem to have less of an understanding of the program's identity and what it should be than what. Uh, I think the more educated fans and media uh, know about it. There are a lot of programs that are falling short of their goals um, for very stupid reasons, we would say. Yeah. Um, so our goal uh, as two stupid guys is to make them less stupid. Um, yeah, there are too many programs that are doing things like um, hiring Jeremy Pruitt. And <laughs> that sort of ties into the program that we're fixing today because um, we're going to fix Tennessee. That's right. Yeah. Do you want to hire a bald, glorified strength coach, pay him $25 million <laughs> over the course of four years, and have him lose almost every important game he plays in? Or, we, see, the other option is you can hire a, bo- a bald, actual strength coach who was recently fired for being racist. That's right. That's our, that's our future <laughs> NFL podcast is we're going to do that. That's right. Uh, and, by the way, we'd like to announce the hiring of Bull Connor by Irvin Meyer right here on the show. Uh, congratulations to Irvin. What a yeah, great get. Yeah. Uh, you got to love what he brings off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so, Pat, before we get ourselves in trouble here, uh, let's get into it. Um, who was the coach, uh, the, the hire that you loved this offseason? So I think my mind is a little bit sort of unpopular with the consensus, I guess, because this guy is not especially well-liked, as far as I can tell, which is strange, because by all accounts, he's a pretty good dude, um, mm-hmm. at least as as far as we know. Um, the hire I loved is Brett Bielma at uh, at Illinois. I, I think Big Bert. That, yeah, we, <laughs> we love Big Bert. Um, I think that he has sort of gotten an unfair rap on, online, specifically, in, in the way that we talk about college football. Um, primarily because I think a lot of college football coverage, online college football coverage specifically, is sort of permanently stuck in 2013. Um, this is sort of a, a theory that I've fleshed out for a while, is that everyone sort of stopped experiencing college football when the playoffs started. Um, mm. And so everyone's memory of Brett Bielma is like, just recently left Wisconsin, did the, uh, I, I don't even remember what it was that his wife said. It was something that Ohio State fans talked Hashtag about for. karma. That's right. Ohio State fans have <laughs> talked about for like 20 years now, essentially, where right. he's not even at Wisconsin anymore. Sure. And man. let's not forget the uh, the shirtless Brett pick. Uh, yes. Which is, honestly, I think. Yeah, just looking like a him, cool dude. Yeah, yeah, just a great guy hanging yeah. on the beach. He looks like everyone's uncle. Are we allowed to tell the story about the, the giving his, his assistance money? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is not an official report yeah. uh, because this is just, you know, just you hear little whispers here and there. Um, but someone once told me that uh, at a program, I, I can't quite recall which program Brett was at at the time, but uh, Brett had uh, an, an all-staff meeting, uh, kind of late evening all-staff meeting, which usually when those guys get called, it's usually not a good thing for most coaches, yeah. especially. They're not something you're excited about. Uh, you're staying in the office instead of with your kids and your family. Um, but uh, Bert called them all into the office there. And uh, we, they were kind of sitting around waiting for him, wasn't sure where he was at. Uh, he walks into the room and throws a stack of several thousand dollars cash, not quite <laughs> sure exactly how much, 
uh, onto the table allegedly again it's Alleg- alleged. allegedly yeah, yeah. parody yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah allegedly threw a, a large stack of uh, thousands of dollars of cash onto the table and told his boys to go have fun anywhere he wants to. Uh, yeah. he, he recommended a strip club and said, do whatever you want as long as you don't get put on camera. Um, so I was told his coaches went out, had a nice steak dinner, then enjoyed um, some entertainment at a gentleman's club. Yeah. Um, which to me sounds like a great guy. I mean, again, that, I, I was uh, pretty ambivalent on, on Brett Bielema. Um, that story made me like him. I mean, I, I really think it's, you know, between that and the, uh, the shirtless beach thing, um, he, he seems more relatable than most college football coaches. So I think you and I can both attest to our not guys you could ever imagine uh, to do the old political trick here, uh, having a beer with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Brett is a guy that you would vote for if you live in Iowa, for sure. Yes. Um, I do actually have sort of tied into that. Uh, there's there's one quote, I believe, on Brett's Wikipedia page that I really love. Are Can't you familiar wait. with this? No. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's talking here about how he was a team captain when he was playing at Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, in his senior season after Iowa beat Iowa State 21-7, Bilma approached Iowa State head coach Jim Walden for a post-game handshake and said, and this is a direct quote, you're a big prick. It's been a pleasure kicking your ass the last five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the reason that makes Brett Bielema so relatable is I think every American, this is, you know, since, you know, you can look this back at Office Space or many years beforehand, yeah. uh, everyone wants to kick their boss's ass. Well, this was the opposing boss. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. but you want to kick a boss's ass. Yeah, Even if it's sure. your buddy's boss, you still want to kick his ass at the yeah. end of the day. Uh, that sounds great to me. That's That sounds like an extremely liberating experience for yes. Brett, who I'm sure was preparing that all game. <laughs> right, and I have no clue who that coach is. I can only imagine he was like 75 or a necktie yeah. during the game. Yeah. And had, had a, like a career winning percentage of like 38% uh, the last <laughs> 10 years. And If he was uh, at Iowa State in the, the 80s and early 90s, I don't imagine it was a, it was a great time for him. I Probably not. <laughs> no, probably not. But my So my reasoning for picking this is not just because I like Brett Bielma and think he's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that I think people have sort of forgotten that he was really, really good at Wisconsin. Like, really good. And yes, sir. you have to, I think when you think about Wisconsin and being successful at Wisconsin, you have to qualify it, obviously, because Barry Alvarez is the shadow coach. He is the deep state at Wisconsin. Um, and so everything is sort of running through him. That's right. Barry Alvarez is the Mario to Phil Fulmer's Wario. Yeah, yeah. And so... <laughs> Um, And so you have to take anything that happens there. Like Paul Christ, I just don't think about ever. I I mean, like, I know he's there. I would not hire him for my own program. I would not look at him. I would never think about Paul Christ. Um, Same with, like, Gary Anderson, you know. And and so, Brett, you have to take that into account. But at Arkansas, even, he wasn't bad. I don't think that his – I don't think that his theory of change there was necessarily wrong. He wanted to build a power program. Um, I think he was just a little bit bit early, honestly, because – you have the SEC now with more and more teams running essentially the uh, you know the Jeff Lebby RPO offense like what mm-hmm. Ole Miss is doing. You're, you're more and more speed, and I think that had had Brett showed up in 2017, 2018 instead of uh, 2013, I think he has a different result. I think that he builds you know the kind of counterculture program that probably has some success there. Maybe not on the the level that like. Georgia has, you know, where you're you're going ten and two probably should be better, but sure. um, it wouldn't have the talent in that way. But I do think that there would be that sort of that impact on a team like you know where you can go out and you can beat an Ole Miss by just smothering them. You can go out and maybe upset a a Florida by just smothering them. Well, I, I do want to. Point, I don't want to make this a referendum on Brett's uh, Arkansas tenure yeah. because I think that's been you know dissected for about a thousand times. 
Um, I do think one of the problems with his strategy, specifically at Arkansas, is how much that program has to rely on recruiting Texas, yeah. a state that is a fully spread offense, you know, uh, Art Bryles style and that, offense. And that he has no ties to. Exactly. Yeah. He has no ties recruiting there. He's recruiting kids that don't have any ties to his system or any experience yeah. in his system. Um, it makes it difficult to do that when you have to go into uh, Ohio and yes. Illinois and, and, and you know, was try to go into Wisconsin to recruit, to bring in these big linemen and, yeah. and stuff for running backs. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard job just in general. It's, yes. it's a, it's a very hard job and it's a job that I think Sam Pittman is going to do pretty well, but yeah, I like um, Sam Pittman. But I, I do think that the the timing thing and also just the fact that he was probably at the wrong SEC school um, to be doing this, I, I think that he would have more success at a place like Missouri, even sure. where you can reach into the Midwest a little bit more, so, which brings me to Illinois because you're in the Midwest. You're, you know, you're fine. Um, <laughs> you're in the Midwest. You're right there. You know, he can, he has ties in the Midwest. He has ties in the the Great Lakes region, he has ties in Illinois specifically. He mm-hmm. he can recruit there, um, and he's showing up at a time where the Big Ten is getting faster. The Big Ten is is running more of these offenses. College football is sort of morphing into this horrible. Every single team is running the exact same Steve Sarkeesian offense, um, and I think that if you do this at a place like Illinois, specifically in the Big Ten West, where there's not a ton of consistency, not a ton of of real danger at the top. I mean, I like Northwestern. I like Pat Fitzgerald. Wisconsin is usually pretty good. Um, but I think that there's room there to build something like what he wanted to do at Arkansas, like what he did at Wisconsin. And so I'm I'm very intrigued by this hire. I think that he's a better recruiter than people give him credit for. I think he hires a really, really good staff. Um, I love the staff that he has there. Uh, and I, I just, this this stood out to me as being Illinois sort of the Lovey Smith hire felt like Illinois trying to make a splash just for the sake of making a splash. This feels like Illinois making a splash that no one really notices until three or four years down the road, where everyone is like, holy shit, they got Brett Bielma. That's right. This is the guy who was like 11-1 and one at Wisconsin every year. He can. This guy can coach. Um, and so I, I really like this hire. I think that this is my favorite of the cycle. Cool. I like it. Um, I definitely think he has a chance to kind of mix it up. And, and you know, like you said, it's a wide open West. Uh, Wisconsin's usually good every single year. Um, Iowa consistently has talent, but... Um, who know? Who knows how much longer Kirk Ferentz will be at that job? Yeah. Um, and, then, <laughs> Brett, and then Brett jumps to that job because he's a he's a right, yeah. right, sure. But uh, you know, you have PJ Fleck in that conference. You have Pat, or in that division rather. You have Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, you have Jeff Brom, who I think yeah. the star is uh, fading by the day. It seems like um, <laughs> that is a very, very, and not to mention Nebraska with Scott Frost. Uh, by the way, happy Scott Frost Day to you. Mm-hmm, thank you. Um, you know, who knows what is going to happen uh, with that division specifically. It seems so wide open. I do think that Brett does have a chance to kind of uh, kick things up there. Um, I am someone skeptical on how and when it will happen, if they'll actually give him the runway. It seems like they probably will. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, that's the other thing is, I real quick, I will talk directly to the Illinois athletic director here. Give him five years at least before you even talk to him. <laughs> Just leave him alone for five years. Sure. Okay, go ahead. Who's your guy? Great. Um, so uh, I have Charles Huff. Okay. Um, I love this hire for Marshall. Um, you know, they took him from Bama. Uh, or not took him from Bama, rather, but hired him from Bama where he was the associate head coach and running backs coach. Um, Huff has a track record going back quite a few years of bringing in elite talent, of coaching elite talent, and developing elite talent. Yeah. Um, as a running backs coach, he was responsible for Saquon Barkley and Miles Sanders at Penn State. Uh, obviously, he coached Najee Harris in a fantastic season at Alabama this year, along with Damian Harris the year prior. Um, Damian Harris, Najee Harris, both guys who had not really 
uh, bloomed to the level they were expected as recruits until Huff got there. Yeah. Um, it took, they were for whatever reason underachieving in the previous staff. So, not previous staff, rather, previous running backs coach. Um, Huff really kicked them into gear. Uh, he also coached Kylan Hill in his breakout season at Mississippi mm. State. Yeah. Um, a guy who has had some off field controversy this year. Yeah. Uh, not in terms of anything criminal, but just in terms of uh, uh, not being on the team, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, regardless, um, you know, Hoff has been a, a full-time P5 assistant coach since he was 30 years old. He's still just 37 years old. His yeah. experience coaching under Nick Saban, under James Franklin, under P.J. Fleck, under Joe Moorhead. Man, I'm just, real quick, that tree that he's coming off of, that's insane. Franklin, Moorhead, Saban, and Fleck. Right? That's I mean, nuts. Those are fantastic influences for a <laughs> yes. young coach, right? Especially an offense-first coach. That's crazy. Yes. You have the, the program building from Saban and a guy like Franklin, but then Moorhead and Fleck are two of the smartest offensive minds in football. Right. That's that's nuts. And Franklin, for all of his faults, I think, is very good at identifying recruiters and recruiting himself. Mm-hmm. And he is a guy that uh, brought Huff with him to Penn State, who had him as a GA at Vanderbilt in the past. And when he had a chance to go get him, he did to fill that spot. Um, I think when coaches at a high level go out to seek you, when James Franklin seeks you out, when Nick Saban seeks you out, uh, when Joe Moorhead steals you away from James Franklin to bring you to his job, I think that says excellent things about you as a coach. I think it yeah. really speaks highly of what you have. Um, and again, PJ Fleck hired him away from James Franklin the first time. I mean, yeah. you're getting passed around between four coaches who are some of the most highly regarded in all of football. Uh, Joe Moorhead obviously did not have the success many people hoped for in yeah. Mississippi State. Um, but I, and I'm sure you imagine it will not be too long until he's back in a head coaching mm-hmm. role. Um, regardless, uh, Huff has experience recruiting about basically every major area you want to see Marshall hitting. Uh, he's pulled blue chip recruits outside of his position group. So he's been the primary guy for recruits that he was never going to coach. Yeah. Uh, he got those from Central Florida, Southern Florida, uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Michigan, Ohio, California, Mississippi. And if you include his position group, he also got uh, Pennsylvania, Texas, and Alabama. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you want to see Marshall a little more in probably Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia. But beyond that, uh, Huff is hitting every single spot you want to see Marshall hit. He's specifically been really good in the Pittsburgh area. Where for whatever reason Marshall was kind of shied away from, yeah. Um, you know, WU is obviously the much closer school to the Greater Pittsburgh region uh, where I'm from. For I guess transparency's sake, I am a Yinzer. <laughs> yeah, full, full disclosure. <laughs> yeah, Ryan full is disclosure. A I am a Yinzer. Uh, I am a <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, we'd like to see him reestablish Marshall in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, they really haven't landed much talent there in recent years, um, and that should be a place that's in their wheelhouse. I don't know why it hasn't been lately. Um, but again, yeah, uh, Huff brought in Saquon Barkley, Miles Sanders, KJ Hampler, Journey Brown, a bunch of other explosive dynamic athletes, all to Penn State. Um, the Journey Brown recruitment specifically is what's really interesting to me and kind of speaks to Huff's ability as an evaluator, as a recruiter. Um, Pat, I don't know how much you know about Journey Brown, who mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately this year was uh, ended his football career um, due to a heart condition. Yeah. Um, prior to that, he beat out, I believe it was three five-star running back in Penn State's backfield, take the lead job. Um, was projected by Dane Brugler as the number one running back in the class coming into this fall. He was really good. Yeah. Really good player. Um, He had no major FBS offers going into the summer before his senior season. Um, I think through several games of the fall, and then he was playing for a small school in uh, in Pennsylvania. I want to say it was Meadville, and was absolutely going off every game. Like like north of 250 yards every single game. Um, Was a state champion contender in track, and got a very late offer from Penn State and committed on the spot. Uh, and obviously the career was pretty fantastic for what he delivered from that. But finding a guy like that, a small school back, who was also on this very skinny side, was mostly a track star, and turning him into a guy who could run between the tackles at Penn State, who could fit their offense, 
Um, and it's not like Sean Clifford or Trace McSorley are opening up any big holes for you in the passing game. Yeah. Um, and, and really just be able to turn him into an all-conference NFL level back almost out of nowhere, um, I think speaks really well to Huff's evaluation development abilities. And especially in a place like Marshall where, let's be honest, Kusa uh, is not the most uh, difficult conference to win games in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> might, might be tied with the Mac right now as just like the most bleak conference where there's just not much there. I would say so. Yeah. yeah I mean, UAB is doing some stuff, but there's really not a lot going on in Kusa. Yeah. Um, that is a very winnable conference. They should have won it this year. Uh, they really blew it there, uh, which... And unfortunately, it is unfortunate that Doc Holliday left that job, by the way. that was He was fired. Uh, I don't agree with the firing of Doc Holliday. Yeah. But if you're going to do that, bringing in Huff makes it feel a lot better. I believe the governor was involved. Is that correct? <laughs> I think that, I think that the right. governor was, was directly involved with firing Doc yeah. Holliday. Yeah, we're hearing reports that Joe Manchin will not vote for the new stimulus <laughs> bill unless Doc Holliday is fired. <laughs> Joe Manchin is standing on the table for Charles Huff. That's right. That's right. Um, anyway, we love Charles Huff. I love Charles Huff. I'm really excited about that hire. Um, I think he's a guy who's going to get to the next job within two to three years, uh, and that's going to be a P5 job next. Have you looked at the staff that he's built at all? I can't say that I have too much. Oh, man. It's really good. You like it? It's really, really good. Give me some names. He's retained Tim Cramsey as the offensive coordinator. Um, Tim Cramsey, who I believe is not directly tied to Ryan Day, but was also at New Hampshire, is very familiar with Ryan Day, runs the exact same offense. Mm -hmm. It's the same exact thing. Um, And then, I don't want to mess up this name, um, but Lance... Guidry, Guidry, who was the defensive, oh, sure. who was the defensive coordinator at FAU. Mm-hmm. FAU's defense was really good last year, yes. kind of quietly. Um, and then there's a couple sort of martial lifers. Um, Bill Legg is sticking around. Um, who else is here? Shannon Morrison, who played linebacker at Marshall. Um, it's it's not necessarily a, a staff that's loaded with like firepower, like big names. Sure, it's But even, even somebody like Eddie Morrissey here, who was the offensive line coach at Austin P. Austin P. was doing influence blocks last year, like pulling the guard away from where the run is going, which is fucking awesome. That's right. super cool, and Austin P. was terrible at it. But I think if you have <laughs> talent, you can you can do something really cool with that, especially sure. if you are working in sort of the, the Cramsey deep play action offense paired with a, a primary zone running game. And you are um, not lacking line talent surrounding the no, area. No, you're not. And especially yeah. because at Marshall specifically, and this is something that I'm very interested in with Huff, you can pull in guys who are not going to qualify elsewhere. Like that is that has been a big deal for Marshall for a long time. Hello, Randy Moss. Yeah, hello, Randy Moss. Yeah. Um, you can do that. You can do that pretty consistently. And, and Huff has ties to, to you know, very talent-rich areas that are going to produce guys who just won't qualify for yeah. P5 schools, right? They, they, there are there are players who have P5 talent that will end up at Marshall because they are being recruited by Huff, and it's either you know you go to a JUCO or you go to Marshall, and they're going to go to Marshall instead right. of going to a JUCO because he's he's a really really good right. recruiter. How about Nashville? We're going to talk about this a little bit later in the yeah. podcast about Tennessee, but one of the areas that's exploding in football talent yeah. right now, uh, where he's got his start at Vanderbilt, uh, you know, really made it a name as a recruiter is going to be a place he's going to recruit yeah, very even, heavily. Yeah, even in this most recent class, I don't know if this is a qualifier issue or not. I don't know the kid personally, but Caleb Combs, um, three-star receiver from Washington, D.C., mm. who uh, Huff was recruiting at Alabama, had an Alabama offer. Huff offers him, shows up at Marshall, offers him on January 18th, lands him on signing day. <laughs> Incredible. It's like two weeks later he gets this right. kid. Kid has a Boston College offer, has Utah offer. He has P5 offers and Marshall's landing him. And he's going to take risks. Of course, you're going to have to, yeah. to do that. But I mean, my God, look at the talent. The, that's the, that's kind of, the upside. The kind of talent that you can build in this conference specifically doing that 
is it's a cheat code. Like that is you if you have three star talent, you know, even low four star talent, and in some places all over your t- your two deep at Marshall, you're going to go twelve and zero. Yes. you're you're going to win a lot of games. And what really excites me is that's nearly the exact blueprint that Matt Campbell followed in Toledo. Yeah, when he was coming up to Toledo, that's exactly. It's a what really he good did. way to build a program at that level. Yes, yeah, it is. It, it's sort of. It's the way that I would prefer, certainly, to the uh, the JUCO transfer route. I think mm-hmm. if you go in and you ha- you're at a school that you can take lower qualifier guys, um, loading up on like guys in the 500 range and recruiting, and then just building out an offense around those guys, building out a defense that runs fast as hell and doesn't really do anything complicated. Sure. Um, you're gonna win a lot of games, and so with Huff, I, I almost feel like the the thing is less is he going to su- succeed, but how long is he going to stay there? Because I just I, I would really like to see a fully functional Huff program at Marshall, and I almost fear that he's going to leave after three years and we won't really get to see it. Which is a good thing for Marshall to have. If, he, if he's good yeah. enough and he's leaving in two or three years, that is an upside for Marshall. Yeah, go out and hire or just promote Tim Cramsey, and then you know, you've know you got a uh, you've got a long-term, long-term guy um, if he doesn't replace Kevin Wilson at Ohio State, which I'd keep my eye on. So um, um, we've been nice for a little while now. We're talking about some nice things. Do you want to get mean? Yeah, yeah, let's get mean. Okay, uh, whose guts do you absolutely hate? <laughs> Who do you want to see arrested? Oh, man, it's Jed Fish. It's, uh, it's Jed Fish. It's whoever hired Jed Fish at Arizona. Man, this is going to have to be a future fix, this program at Arizona. Why does Arizona hate winning football games? I don't know, man. Just hire Ken Niamatololo. It's so easy. You can, you can do it anytime. You can just go hire Ken Niamatololo. It's so easy. I've hired He's him. There. I've hired him five times this week. <laughs> I'm just constantly hiring Ken Niamatololo. I saw him on Fiverr offering his yeah. on how to coach football. <laughs> He's begging but for a new job. Jed Fish, for those of you who don't know, is a bad NFL assistant who was before being a bad NFL assistant, a bad UCLA and Michigan assistant. That's this right. is this is a pre um, Josh Gaddis Michigan offensive assistant, which is a really really bad thing to be. It's the the thing. The only reason I remembered his name when he was hired uh, prior to this is for his brief beef with yes. Zach Smith. Yes, which honestly, you really hate to see. They're just two great, fantastic mm-hmm. guys. Um, who you really hate to see fighting that way. Just two wonderful dudes who everyone loves and thinks are great coaches. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember the details of the beef. Maybe you do. Uh, there was some recruiting flyer sent out where they basically uh, yeah. uh, intimated that Zach Smith isn't someone you should trust to coach your kids, which mm-hmm. they were not wrong no. about, by the way. <laughs> Jeff Fish was not wrong about that. Um, man, he sucks, right? Yeah, he's horrible. He so after he was <laughs> after he was the passing game coordinator at Michigan in 2015 and 2016, which uh, if you don't remember, Michigan could not pass the ball very well during those times. I think that that was what Jake Rudock and uh, whoever they had in 2016, something like that. Yeah, I, I think it was either it was Wilton Spate and John O'Corn. Oh my um, god! Both of whom managed to ruin one of the best defenses that I've ever seen in college football. That's right. How that team didn't go to the playoff, I I will never know. It was just it was Jed Fish. Have you watched the uh, Michigan documentary on Amazon Prime, the All or Nothing one? Uh, I watched like the first two episodes. I oh didn't man, get through the rest you really of missed that. the golden part of that. Where was that, that game it, against Ohio State? Yeah, where, uh, I think he had Pep, it had Pep Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, no, Will. No, yes. Will. No. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a real joy to watch. Uh, <laughs> I was at that game. I was, I was, uh, it was, it was very cold. Um, but I, 
that was a miserable game, man. That was mm-hmm. just a terrible football game to watch. Um, but after he was at Michigan, he went to UCLA in 2017 before Chip Kelly showed up. So Jim Mora tree, Jim Harbaugh tree immediately wow. um, goes off to the uh, the Rams as an offensive assistant. Um, so I believe that that's why he's being hired now is that he has the McVay stink on him. Um, mm-hmm. And then he was the, uh, the Patriots quarterbacks coach this last year and managed to not do well with Cam fucking Newton. This man had Cam Newton in their offense was bad. That's right. Ugh. So he then, also had Bill Belichick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He had Damian Harris. <laughs> Nikhil Harry. Oh, dude. How do you, Cam Newton was like, like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. This is one of the one of the most freakish college quarterbacks I've ever seen. And you he just, sure was bad. Yeah, really, really bad. So Arizona saw that and they're like, okay, we got to have this guy. We got to get in. We got to get in. this guy. Um, I don't have a ton of of fleshed out thoughts on him outside of this it's just he's not especially charismatic his staff is bad he's not a good coach to begin with if he's calling his own offense it's going to be bad um this is what three straight blatant misses from the start for arizona sure i guess rich rod was was kind of encouraging rich rod at least showed like they were trying. like i didn't i didn't hate the rich rod hire yeah. i didn't he wasn't fully to the point where he is now when mm-hmm. he was leaving michigan it, it felt like it didn't really fit but he still had some of that you know that intrigue from the uh the option days i mean the kevin someone hire though was, it was dead that's on arrival. Criminal. it's just it was insane he so obviously needed to take a year off um at least <laughs> can you imagine just being owned by herm edwards in your own state dude it's it's uh where is someone now does he have a new job let me let me look. Oh, that's a good question. Because he needs to like for his own for his own good, he needs to take a year off. Like he certainly does. Someone, dude, please take a year off. I want to see someone maybe go coach a team in Mexico. Uh, I would like to see him maybe see if he can revive the NFL Europe League. Oh man, I want to see Kevin Sumlin just take a break. Just like just take a year off, man. Go golfing, enjoy yourself. Please, that is stop coaching. We would like to bet. Every cent in both of our bank accounts that Kevin someone will end up in the Nick Saban rehabilitation program. Yes, yes. that I, is a guarantee. Who's there? I don't know who their OC is this year, but it's going to be Kevin someone next year. <laughs> it's very possible. Man, that would have been a decent hire as like an offensive analyst. Bring Kevin Sumlin in. Maybe he is. Do we, do Maybe. We yeah, he's hiding. Yeah, they, uh, they've yeah. got him in, in witness protection. <laughs> They're taking shadow staff to a real new level. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but that yeah, was people don't know this, but at the end of Goodfellas, uh, Ray Liotta's character actually does become Kevin Sumlin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he dials up a th- on a screen pass on third and sixteen. That's right. Uh, it's really just a despicable scene. <laughs> um, yeah, but but it's just it's another one of these. Where what are you doing, Karen? We needed those yards. <laughs> Oh man! Sorry, go ahead. I cut you off there. <laughs> Jed Fish asking the Arizona AD if he thinks he's a funny guy. <laughs> what do you mean I'm a funny guy? Oh my god! Uh, but it's another one of these where it's just not inspired at all, and right. and Arizona is not lacking. I mean, Arizona prep talent right now is really really good. It's yep. really good, like better than it has ever been. Um, and they're getting. None of it. Yeah, and it's going to either Arizona State or Ohio State or Texas, and it's like you've you've got to get in on this at some point. And Jed fucking Fish is not the guy to do it. Is it possible they hire Jed Fish because Jed Fish looks like every guy who just got divorced in the last couple of years and now <laughs> wants to hang out at pools in Arizona to creepily leer at women? He looks like the head coach from Blue Mountain State. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jed Fish, Jed Jed Fish, Jed Fish. Yeah. 
permanently looks like he just spent last night getting his shirt taken at Vegas and just has a whole <laughs> ripped through a whole pack of darts and oh, just woke man. up and you're the first person he's talking to. Yeah, yeah, he's just he's in a bad place. He he got an he got married last <laughs> night. You're just it's not good. Um, but oh, no. yeah, I just there are so many different ways that I think you could win in Arizona, and hiring Jed Fish is not one of them. I don't it certainly think. is so, a bad. Jed Fish, not not good. I don't think that my pick is worse than yours. I think that you picked the worst one, but Jed Fish is is up there. Pat, let me ask you a question. Yep. Did you love the memory of seeing Joe Paterno nearly, or possibly, quite likely did poop no, his he, pants? No, he did poop his pants, yeah. Did you like seeing Joe Paterno poop his pants and then yeah. try to spread off the field? Yeah, I enjoyed that. Do you want the dollar uh, value brand version of that? Do you want to see it 12 times is what you're asking <laughs> Do you want to see an even larger, yeah. less competent man from an equally famous football family yeah. do that every single week? And actually, it's going to be the number one recruiting graphic for your program. Okay, yeah. Well, congratulations. You are Louisiana Monroe, and you have just hired Tommy Bowden to be your yeah. coach. Is it even Tommy? Terry Bowden? Which one? I it's think, Terry Bowden. I, I said think Tommy, I think it's I? Terry, yeah. Terry. All the Bowdens except Bobby. Yeah. They all suck. Yeah. But this one is Terry Bowden. It's the one that I hate specifically. Louisiana Monroe has hired a 64-year-old man who has not had consistent success since the Clinton administration. Yeah. The last time Bowden had back-to-back seasons above 500 at the FBS level was before you were born, Patrick. Yeah. In the 1996-1997 And I can drink legally. I'm not like a baby. You know, like yeah. this, is, this man has really, really not done well for a really long time. It's been 24 years. Yeah. Uh, he resigned in 1998. He took 11 years off to work in a broadcasting oh, booth. He's firing where, up the cannon. Where the most famous thing listed about his broadcasting career on his Wikipedia page is that he constantly called his father daddy on TV yeah. and radio nice. for over a decade. He's a grown man, by the way. <laughs> because... Dude. <laughs> I think because Northern Alabama, his next job after that, who hired him in 2011, they realized the online renaissance, people saying daddy, was going to really start peaking soon. So they hired him in 11. Uh, he was admittedly pretty good, actually, from Alabama. Yeah. Um, he then immediately went back to sucking shit when he got hired to Akron. Uh, he, his best stretch there was going 20 and 19 over three years from 2015 through 17. Uh, I think he won the division one time, possibly. Yeah. Um, Luisa Monroe is just punting on success. Yeah. They're going to the fetal position. They're choosing not to win until things get easier. Bowden's not really a good recruiter or identifier of talent. Mm-hmm. He lacks any charisma. He doesn't give you a scheme advantage. He's not young and exciting. Um, he doesn't bring any buzz to your program. Uh, with Napier at Louisiana, Willie Fritz at Tulane, Skip Holtz at Law Tech, uh, UL Monroe already faced a pretty difficult road. And yeah. They just made it so much harder for themselves. Yeah, the Sun Belt is awesome right now. Like right. The, but it's punting on this hire is just like I don't know man you're you're gonna fall into the FCS if you keep doing this shit yeah you really might it brings no energy to your program yeah they're actively saying you know what we're fine being the fifth best program in our own state uh, with a, maybe the fifth best program that's assuming that they're that, that the worst FBS program is better than I don't know Nickel State or uh, you know one of those Louisiana FCS programs um, his most notable accomplishment in the last few years is appearing on that recruiting flyer for Akron, where it did indeed look like he was shooting his pants like Joe yeah. Paterno. Yeah, that's all. He, what What else have you heard from Terry Bowden uh, besides him almost shooting his pants? I don't know, man. Maybe. I, I uh, <laughs> not not to be too not to be too uh, masturbatory on the first episode. I am going to read a pair of paragraphs that I wrote about you, Monroe, a couple Let's of weeks go. ago. Um, when I did my, I'm I'm doing previews for every G5 team. ULMs was the only Here's one that sicko. I. 
Yeah, ULMs was the only one that I have not done GIFs for, did not clip anything, did not say anything nice. Um, most of these, I'm saying, I'm being very positive, sort of saying this is how the program could you know, grow, could become something good. These are my last two paragraphs here. Um, I would like to be able to say something nice about this program, but I just don't have it. Maybe Rich Rodriguez will be able to work some magic as the offensive coordinator. Did you know that that's the that's the OC? I sure did. Pat. Yeah, yeah. Which is I get, I don't know, man. Kind of interesting. I bet it won't work. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> though it appears his quarterback will be his son because this is a family operation. That's true. It's the quarterback is his son who was who wasn't good enough to play at Arizona last year. <laughs> Terry Bowden is a guy who was brought up on nepotism. Who saw yeah. his entire family rise up for nepotism. Yes, and he was like he's committed to it. And he was like, okay. Can I get the most nepotistic man alive, yeah. Urban Meyer, on my coaching staff? Damn, I should have I should have called this the Bowden crime family. <laughs> <laughs> um, might as well bring on ninety one year old Bobby out of out of retirement too. Surely yeah. he still has the old fastball on the recruiting trail. Let's get Tommy in here too. He's not doing anything else. And the last paragraph is: I'm not trying to shortchange you all. There's just nothing here. No fun running back. No defensive lineman to build a group around. Um, nothing in Bowden's history to indicate that this is going to be anything other than a winless team once again in twenty. 2021. This is the only time I'm going to say this during the span of this preview series. ULM is without hope, and you should not watch it play football <laughs> unless you have absolutely no choice. You deserve better. ULM fans deserve better, and the players on this team sure as hell deserve better. I hope they get it when Bowden is out the door in two years. This team is fucking miserable. This is the number one fucking anti-ULM podcast in America. Dude, it's it's disgraceful. <laughs> this is a disgusting act. <laughs> <laughs> the shame that Terry Bowden Ugh. has brought to the great state of Louisiana Dude. is probably more damage anyone's done yeah. since Bobby Jindal was in office. Louisiana currently has a coach who's holding out for the fucking Alabama job, and ULM had just hired the guy who got fired from Auburn in the 90s. Jesus Christ. Let's... Let's move on before we commit some crimes <laughs> in this podcast. I don't want to get sued for defamation. All right, who's your guy? My guy? Yeah. My guy is Jaleel Day. Okay. Jaleel Day, for those of you who don't know him, was just hired this offseason to Georgia as the defensive backs coach. Uh, prior to that, he was the defensive backs coach at West Virginia. Um, due to a, uh, a sudden change where West Virginia's previous DC had to resign over, I believe it was allegations. Uh, I think he like texted a recruit the N-word, right? That sounds correct. Which you can't, it, can't do generally. Yeah, it was yeah. racist allegations to this coach. Uh, he had to resign, and so a day stepped into a co-DC role. Um West Virginia last season had the number one ranked pass defense, the number four total defense, which was number one in the P5, the number one scoring defense in the Big 12. And he yeah. also, I mean, this all operated at a very, very high level. It's an incredibly multiple defense. Um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they did mix their, their coverage schemes incredibly well. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, between cover one, cover four, cover three, cover two, they were not someone you could predict snap to snap, not a predictable defense that you saw dropping a single high every time. They're moving yeah. around a lot. Um, he's also consistently just put defensive backs in the NFL. And it's not like he's been at, uh, you know, crazy programs in the past. He's been at Minnesota. He's been in Arizona uh, under the Rich Rod program. Uh, and he's been at West Virginia. Uh, he put Antoine Winfield Jr. in the NFL. He had Chris Williamson also from Minnesota. Uh, Dane Crookshank of Arizona, he says, in the league. Uh, Kenny Robinson, another Yenzer, shout out to him. Uh, has done really well for Carolina in the NFL so far. Um, he uh, he has Josh Norwood, Keith Washington, and his cousin Alonzo Aday all as all Big 12 guys. Uh, Tyke Smith was a freshman All-American under him and yeah. now a third-team All-American during this past season. Um, 
at everywhere he goes, he's consistently coaching defensive backs to a high level. Yeah. This year, he coordinated defense to a high level, creating the number one pass defense in America. And now you're taking him from West Virginia, Morgantown, that talent, which is mostly Juco kids yeah. and, and cast-offs. Other people is really is he going somewhere that has a lot of talent? Oh, you know, I think Georgia may have some talent. <laughs> I think it's been rumored the greater Atlanta area yeah. does have defensive back we're, we're talents. Hearing, yeah. We're hearing that Kirby Smart does know how to land five-star defensive backs. It's true. Yeah. So he's going to be uh, a full-time defensive backs coach there. there. He doesn't have a code DC title anymore, which... Um, I imagine that will change probably. Yeah, I don't think that'll last. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's a guy who's going to be a defensive coordinator and then a head coach very shortly, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. This is a guy who is, I believe in his early 40s, I think he's 42 years old, um, is going to skyrocket the coaching ranks very soon. Yeah. Yeah, you you have you have sold me on this guy in the past. I, uh, I, I would agree with that. Um, my guy is, <laughs> I'm going to, First episode, and we're talking about UMass football. Let's go. Um, my guy is Alex Miller, who is the run game coordinator. He's the new run game coordinator and offensive line coach at UMass. Um, I uh, big Minutemen guy over here. Yeah, yeah, man. I talked myself into UMass. I, I did. That was my I told fir- you not to do it. My first preview that I did, and I talked myself into it. I warned you. Um, so Alex Miller. For those of you who don't know, which is all of you, um, he was most recently at New Hampshire for, he was there for 10 years, ran the offensive line for 10 years. Um, that's a really, really good FCS program. If, yes, it is. if you were going to be coming on the offensive side of the ball specifically from an FCS program, um, Sean McDonald's program at uh, New Hampshire is a really good one to come from. Um, he's just, he's really smart. He runs really, really interesting schemes. Um, I'm not yet sold on, on Walt Bell as a head coach because that's a, that's a hard sell at this point. Um, but I think that Alex Miller has the sort of the, the, the kind of zone run blocking ties that you need to be a successful OC right now. The kind of creativity in the run game and run blocking schemes that you need to be a successful OC right now. Um, and while I'm not sure that UMass is necessarily the best place for a young talent like this to grow, um, he did play there, so he has he has ties to the area and obviously has sort of a reason to return. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's going to be the kind of situation where, um, oh, who was it? The guy who's at Miami now, um, the offensive coordinator, Rhett Lashley. Rhett Lashley, who was the OC at UConn mm-hmm. under uh, under Randy Edsel in like he 2017, made managed to make it out. Just I think him and Aaron Hernandez. Yeah. <laughs> Well, <laughs> um, I, I think that Alex, yeah, Aaron Hernandez made it out in, in a in a sense. I think he, he made it out of this mortal coil. Um, but uh, Alex Miller, I think, is going to be another one of those guys who manages to sort of ascend beyond the Northeast <laughs> that he is in, and and will end up in a in a bigger spot. I don't know how he is as a recruiter, but schematically speaking, um, there aren't really trees that you can come from that are much better than the New Hampshire one and uh, I'm just I'm really interested to see how he works with Walt Bell I think it's going to be really fun to watch yeah I mean if he has any success at all uh, that is a guy that's going to be noticed by other people. Yeah, I mean, you, if UMass has one 200-yard rushing game, it's like, this guy's gone. Yes. <laughs> this yeah. dude is gone. Right. I mean, there is just something there. <laughs> I, I'm with you 100%. I think we have talked off-air uh, about the difficulties of the UMass job, and I tried to I tried to warn you against yeah. being too excited about them just because of the talent disparity they're going to face. Um, but from a schematic standpoint, everything you have has sold me on him, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, like you said, he, he has to do more with less. Um, but as soon as he does that, he's going to get opportunities as an OC somewhere else. Yep. Uh, maybe not a head coach anywhere else yep. yet. It's not yet. Lot, not but, yet. Uh, it makes sense to take that job. I mean, I, I get it. Uh, yeah. Guys want that chance to have their own program. And 
I mean, hell, it's not like UConn's impressed anybody too much. I mean, there's definitely, you know, yeah. you can you can rise above a few of these programs. Yeah. Um, for sure. Syracuse is down. You've got, you know, maybe he can, uh, if he's lucky, and I think this would be a very good career choice, maybe he can hook his, uh, his sort of career to the Jeff Halfley train because mm. that'll get you a big job real soon. Real, real soon. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like maybe next year in Ann Arbor. Maybe, ne- maybe next year. <laughs> Ooh, that would be fun. Um, You're hearing it more and more. It's going to be the, the Matt Campbell and Jeff Halfley chase. I think that's I think I would hire halfway there, but that's a different story. Well, hey, speaking of uh, failing blue blood programs that really haven't done much compared to what you'd like to see from them, mm-hmm. do you want to talk about Tennessee? No. Okay. Yeah, no, let's talk about Tennessee. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> um, so what are we what are we doing with the fixer program? What do we what is this gonna look like? Um first of all, um we are both in this scenario, Tim the Toolman Taylor. Uh our job yeah. is to Huh? <laughs> Our job is to fix oh, up shoot, these programs. I didn't have the sound. That's my bad. You didn't. We'll get I, it. I think we're probably going to get, uh, yeah. we're going to lose all the money we're making from this podcast, yeah. Pat. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, so I think that uh, really uh, our goal here is to identify why the program that has been failing is failing. Yeah. Uh, we want to point out what's wrong with them, <laughs> how they can fix it, uh, areas to grow, uh, areas they're doing well at, areas to keep improving from. Um, with Tennessee, it's it's mostly areas to grow and areas yeah. to change. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is something we want to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of each individual program. Um, you know, generally, I look at that from a talent perspective, from a recruiting perspective, because it's how I came up in covering football. Yeah. Um, it's how I think about the sport. I think talent solves nearly every problem you have. Yeah. Um, so that's me, my perspective on Tennessee. I think you're going to talk a little more about schematics and kind of uh, some other stuff, too. We're both about program yeah. direction. Deploying that talent, developing and deploying that talent. Exactly. So let's start with... Um, Number one, and we both agree on this point. You, if you're a Tennessee AD, you don't want to hire Josh Heupel. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, generally speaking, you don't want to hire Josh Heupel. You don't want to hire Josh Heupel. <laughs> just, just you know, Listen, you might be out there thinking about hiring Josh Heupel. Yeah. We're here to tell you, don't do that. If if a man who looks a lot like Josh Heupel comes to your door and he offers to shovel your driveway, don't hire Josh Heupel. He's hiding. He's going to he's going to tank your program. He's going to destroy Mackenzie Milton's leg. Yeah. Don't hire him. He's going to make sure you have really good quarterback performance and nothing else. Yeah. 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 Josh Eiffel yeah, is a sicko who hates all non-quarterbacks. Yeah. We can also say here at the top real quick, and I, I think that this is that this is the actual case that, that Tennessee is sort of prepping for the NCAA violations to come down, and this is why it's brought in Josh Heupel. We will say here that this this podcast is firmly in support of paying roots and, Absolutely. and that Tennessee did nothing wrong. And specifically, <laughs> allegedly paying recruits with McDonald's bags of cash is the, so fun. Tennessee, what Tennessee did wrong was that it was shitty at paying recruits, but the, the actual paying recruits is, is just, just do a better job of it. Yeah, I mean, really, if they wanted to appeal to their audience more, Again, you're in Tennessee. You're yeah. in one of the areas that has unique fast food in the country. Use cookout bags, baby. Yeah, come on. What are you thinking? It's disgraceful. McDonald's? Yeah. Well, McDonald's. If I'm a recruit and I get a McDonald's bag from like a 45-year-old man, I'm throwing it out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's in here. I don't know what this freak did to this. People put guns in McDonald's bags. Yeah, I don't want a gun. I'm, I'm a four-star wide receiver. Don't give me this. <laughs> oh man! So we have we have sort of six. When we're going to do these, we have sort of six uh, six core tenants that we're going to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the base issues? Recruiting game plan, staff identity, scheme, team identity, and what's the ceiling? Um, we can start off here with the base issues. I think they're pretty blatant at Tennessee. I would say um, the main one that comes to mind, and this is sort of alleviated itself this off season. Um, Philip Fulmer, I think, was a base issue for a very long time. 
Yes, Wario. The Wario yeah. Cultural Recruiter. <laughs> yeah. uh, he is a dark presence. Yeah. <laughs> really, um, have you seen the movie Hereditary? No. Okay. Uh, sorry for the spoilers to the listeners here. Yeah. Hereditary is really, at the end of the day, about... Um, it's about a cult that, okay. that is kind of just having this dark influence gradually corrupting a family, otherwise happy, successful family. It's yeah. a beautiful home. Uh, a lot of talent around them, you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just slowly ruining these people's lives by just their dark presence constantly, you know, influencing things. Eventually driving them all insane and making them quit. Yeah. Um, Philip Fulmer is that cult, I want to clarify. You know, okay. Philip yeah. Fulmer is the devil. Yes. Uh, and I think that Fulmer and the the sort of base that has stuck with him for so long. The Jimmy Haslam's of the world. Yes, yes. Yeah, the Tennessee booster crowd that... Um, I mean, my gosh, you know, there are a lot of, I guess, malevolent meddling boosters across the country. Yes. Uh, obviously, Auburn comes to mind. SEC, SEC specifically. You're yes. You see those types. Yeah. Quite a few of the Texas schools come to mind as well. Yeah. Um, you know, T-Boone Pickens for a time in Oklahoma State until he learned to shut up. Yeah. Um, as, you know, God bless him for that. Texas A&M, big time. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Jimbo Fisher is a saint. <laughs> <laughs> you know, generally when you have... One or a small group of boosters who have an outsized influence over your program, that is bad news for you, especially if you are not coming in as an elite big time coach, which Heupel certainly is not. He's a guy who already, uh, you know, some UCF fans were saying he's a year away from being on the hot seat. Yeah. um, Or was already on the hot seat if you were pretty aggressive. Yeah. I would Um, agree with that having watched UCF. uh, I can't can't say that wrong. He took over the best uh, G5 program in the country and made it six and four. It's mediocre. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, don't hire Josh Heupel. Yeah. Get rid of Philip Fulmer. That's, that's one positive, one negative. We believe in the sandwich method here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, getting rid of Philip Fulmer is a good, is a good starting point. He had a bad influence in the program. Um, so really from here, first of all, I do want to say their AD hire is excellent. Yeah. I like Danny White. Danny White did a really good job just at UCF. High energy guy generally. Yeah, make, I, I mean, don't, I don't love hiring Josh Heupel just at UCF and then again at Tennessee, but it was like his fourth choice. He right. just missed on the first three, and that it happened. And that's hard, yeah. yeah. And I'm ready to fire off a score trooper take here. Okay. His hire of Lance Leopold at Buffalo is the single best coaching no, hire in all of college football yeah. in the last decade. You go down into D3, find that dude? That's nuts. That's, that is that, that's, so good. That's nuts. That's like that's the kind of creativity that more ADs need to, need to have. Lance Leopold, by the way, follows me on Twitter, I think. Really, huh. Yeah, so yeah. nice of him to do that. Uh, not sure why he stuck with it this long. Yeah. Um, he really loves it. He's, <laughs> he's Lance every single one. hates Urban Meyer. <laughs> we oh, can safely man. extrapolate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, look. Um, first of all, you should have hired Lance Leopold. I mean, you already yes. had him. What are you doing? You should have yeah. hired Lance. The only fear with that is the recruiting violations. You don't really want to stunt the growth of a Lance Leopold program because it takes a couple years for him to get his guys. Yeah, but recruiting at Buffalo is like already recruiting with violations. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> you, you you aren't playing against SEC teams. Though. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. So um, let's talk about recruiting a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, Tennessee. The, uh, this is kind of my wheelhouse here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna vamp for a little bit if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Within a four-hour drive of Tennessee, you have the metro areas of Knoxville, Nashville, Chattanooga, Murfreesboro, Memphis. Uh, I'm sorry, Memphis is just outside that area, but it's an yeah. in-state program. You have Lexington, Louisville. Uh, you have Cincinnati, Charlotte, Greensboro, Winston-Salem, Asheville, Atlanta, Birmingham, Huntsville, and all of northern Alabama. Yeah. Uh, generally, that region produces about 200 Power 5 players a year mm-hmm. uh, and about 65 blue-chip players. Yeah. That is 65 blue-chip recruits, four- and five-star players, within a four-hour drive of your campus every single year. That's, your floor. that's nuts. 
That's, that is <laughs> such a rich opportunity yeah, to recruit from. That's about as good as it's going to get if you're not like in Texas. Yes. Yeah. And and obviously, no one expects Tennessee to go into ten, to go into Atlanta rather and start beating Alabama and Georgia for recruits every year. Yeah, especially not right now. But you don't have to. Yeah. No, and, and that's and if you expand that out to six hours, uh, you get Memphis in there. You get the Columbus and Dayton areas. You get Indianapolis. Uh, you get all of Virginia. You get all the rest of North Carolina. You get yeah. all of South Carolina. Uh, you get the rest of Georgia. You get uh, the rest of Alabama, Mississippi. Uh, the Montgomery area, particularly, is huge. Um, and you go to eight hours, you get northern Florida, which mm-hmm. you should be able to recruit uh, Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa fairly well, northern and central Florida. Yeah. Um, the amount of talent in a close drive to you is enormous, uh, specifically Nashville and Charlotte, which are the two really closest major metro areas to Knoxville, um, are two areas that are very much on the rise. They've had population booms in the last couple of decades, and you're starting to see that play out in football. Um, you know, uh, the Nashville and kind of Knoxville combined regions uh, produce 22 Power 5 signees a year, seven of them being blue chips, and Charlotte produces about 35 Power 5 signees with about a dozen blue chips. So you're yeah. looking at about 50 Power 5 players and uh, about 20 blue chips within an hour and a half, two-hour, three-hour drive at your campus right there in kind of your main home where yeah. you are the closest Power 5 program that matters to, yeah. the, to those cities. Um, that is such a rich area. I know I'm really hammering this home. Yeah. But really, I mean, that is so much talent so close to you. Um, you need to have a dedicated recruiter to each of those cities. You have to have a guy who owns Nashville, a guy who owns Charlotte, a guy who tries to own Atlanta, or who gets uh, after Atlanta's done taking the best players from Birmingham. Yeah. Uh, you kind of get the, the second tier players from Auburn. Um, you know, you have a guy from Cincinnati, which is a, a pretty wide open area. I mean, Ohio mm-hmm. State and uh, Notre Dame kind of have first pick in Cincinnati. Yeah, but there are, there are schools there that aren't Catholic. Absolutely. And so then you're battling Ohio State or if it's a, you know, if it's a, a guy in the 300s, Ohio State's not looking at him. Right. So then you're battling Cincinnati. Especially you're battling Kentucky. Too. Yeah. A, those are, uh, and those big Oh, dude, there are so many tackles down there that are just not so getting many. recruited. <laughs> right. They're not really not getting recruited, and, and they play such a high level of football. Yeah. You know, you can do a lot worse than taking guys who win state championships every year and who play against the other and, high and level. And culturally speaking, you take those guys on a visit down to Tennessee, they're fine. They're comfortable. Yep. Cincinnati and Tennessee are not that different. <laughs> no, they're not. They're very similar. And same with all of Kentucky, too. And, you yeah. Know, the, the Kentucky, the program, is recruiting Kentucky, the state, very well right yeah. now. Um, but they don't have to. I yeah. mean, you know, Tennessee is a program that can win those battles, especially in eastern and southern Kentucky. You can win those battles. Man, Louisville's a, a no-man's area. We're, we're going to get into something like this, but first person that I'm calling if I'm the head coach at Tennessee is Vince Morrow. I'm saying, here's here's $1.5 to do whatever you want. Whatever you want. All you have to do is recruit Kentucky and Ohio. Just we don't care how much camp you out. Just sort of yeah. camp out out there. And it's Vince Morrow, I'm not going to get anyone in trouble here, but Vince Morrow, of every assistant coach I've ever talked to in college yeah. football, I've sorted quite a few of them. Uh, he's so good at managing relationships with writers, too. Yeah. He is the guy who's going to know. There's a reason that Kentucky offers every kid first in Ohio and in Kentucky. Yeah. It's because he knows who every kid is by the time they set foot on a varsity field. He's fantastic. He's such he's, a good evaluator. He's so good at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, what can you do sometimes, yeah. right? But anyway, um, Tennessee's goal, they're already playing at a very high level of talent. If you look at the um, roster composite, um, it's pretty good. There's, it's, it's not, it's not as bad as you would think based on the record. It really is not. Uh, they have been ranked between 12th and 16th in the 24/7 team talent composite every single year. That's yeah. nationally between 12th and 16th every year from 2015 through 2020. That means generally they're between fifth and seventh in the conference and overall roster talent. Yeah. Um, 
Despite that, 25 programs had more alumni in the NFL on, on active NFL rosters in 2020 than Tennessee did. Seven of them are programs in the SEC. Yeah. Uh, South Carolina, NC State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Stanford, Mississippi State, and Temple have all put more players in the NFL. Yeah. So, the South Carolina one sticks out to me. How about Temple, man? Temple. At least Temple has like a program culture. Sure. You know, like there were good coaches there pretty recently. Right. South Carolina hasn't been good in several years. Right. You know. And, and this pro this problem is all from a talent development perspective. Yeah. Um, Alabama and Georgia are head and shoulders for the rest of the conference and talent and pretty much the rest of the country besides Ohio yes. State and Clemson. Uh, and LSU is kind of on their own tier behind Bama and Georgia in the yeah. conference. But Florida, Auburn, A&M, and Tennessee are identical yeah. in terms of average player rating every single year. Yeah, and all um, of those are developing better than, than Tennessee all is. Of them. Yeah. And the rest of the conference is pretty dramatically far behind those top yeah. seven programs. And then you even have teams like Ole Miss, who isn't recruiting especially well, that is better than Tennessee right now. Sure are. Yeah. Which, like, <laughs> it, it, it's, there's no real excuse for it. And it's very possible that recruiting shifts at a certain point now yeah. because it's been long enough that, oh, come on, it's so many new staffs. But... The, the, the larger point here being is that Tennessee has a ton of talent on that roster, and they yes. just fail to deploy it every single year. I mean, obviously, the famous Elvin Kamara example is one people go to a lot yeah. for good reason. Yeah, I, uh, I, I will say here, just to, to sort of rally off of this and then, then move into our next mm-hmm. point, I'm looking at the Tennessee recruiting map from 2010 to 2020 here. Um, <laughs> this, after the, the point that you just made, this this will upset you specifically. Oh, geez. Um, so just looking at some of the surrounding states here, since 2010... Tennessee has landed one recruit, one recruit from Kentucky, um, eight from Ohio, one from Indiana, five from Illinois. You go out to the east a little bit, six from Virginia, 12 from North Carolina, 11 from South Carolina, down to the south, nine from Alabama, two from Mississippi, six from Louisiana. Those numbers specifically on Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana yeah. are terrible. For reference, they've landed seven from California in that same time. Why are you going out to California? Right. You don't need to do that. Right. Unless you have an alumni kid or something like that, there's no need to They have a this. player from fucking Nevada. Why are you going to Nevada? Bishop Gorman has to be, I assume, right? <laughs> I, would, I would guess. Uh, they really wanted Tate Martell to settle for whoever they got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, got, got a kid from Oklahoma. I just, you should not have more six from Louisiana to seven from California yes. at Tennessee. That's Make embarrassing. Make it easier for yourself. You know, yeah. the goal of recruiting and a reason, you know, let me get off on a little tangent here, but the reason why programs like Alabama, like Georgia, like Ohio State, uh, you know, Texas at their peak, USC at their peak, yeah. why those programs recruit so well is that they have such a massive base of in-state talent that yep. they own and control and build from first. When you start every single year with a floor of 10 or 11 blue-chip kids in your class, yeah. the rest of your job is so easy. And Tennessee doesn't have quite that same level of talent, but it's one of the top 15 states in America in yeah, talent and production. You, you've and, got to build that base. Right. And you can also, in my opinion, you can functionally treat every program within it. I'm sorry, not every program, every area within about a three or four hour drive yeah. as in-state recruiting. Yeah. Like Ohio State, and it's both of our backgrounds here, sorry we're annoying, yeah. uh, treats Indianapolis as an in-state program. Yeah, as an in-state area, right? It, it is. It's it's within driving distance. I can I could, you know, a day trip. I can hop on what I seventy one. I'm in Indianapolis in three hours. Seventy, but yeah, I got seventy. Okay. okay, yeah, it's fine. Okay, but, all right. You know, I'm a big listen, road guy. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a terrible drive. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, look, th- what we're saying here is Tennessee has tons of talent. It should be easy for them to get more, and most importantly, every single year they have more talent than Kentucky. South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Yeah. Your goal, if you are Josh Heupel or whoever comes after Josh Heupel, 
you cannot lose to those four teams. Yeah. Ever. No, there's no reason to. Kentucky's been pretty good lately. They've yeah. had a pretty good defense. They've had an abysmal offense still. Yeah. You cannot lose to Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. You should also schedule four non-conference games that are guaranteed wins yes, every for, year. for at least five years. Right. Um, unfortunately, have not done that. Uh, <laughs> Tennessee coming up, they have a home-and-home with Pitt in 2021 okay. and 2022. Now, that's okay. a very winnable P5 yeah, that's, game. That's winnable, but uh, pushing it. They have a home-and-home home with Nebraska in 26 mm. and 2027. Sort because of, Sort of the Spider-Man staring. Exactly yeah, what I was yeah. thinking. Uh, less... Here's one that I think is just outright stupid, yeah. but it's going to sell tickets, and one that what in the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Let's start. Which one do you want to start with that? Um, give me the give me the lesser of the two. Okay. They have a home game against Oklahoma in 2024. <laughs> They're going to get their ass kicked. We know that. <laughs> okay. It's a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, think about how much worse this one is. Oh, no. They scheduled a road game yep. at BYU. <laughs> Why? Why would you ever do Why that? Why would you do that? <laughs> Why would any Power 5 program ever schedule a road game at BYU or at UCF oh, or at man. SMU or Cincinnati? Oh, it's time to time to take a time to take a, a 6-hour flight to get my dick kicked for yeah. 6 hours. <laughs> Fucking idiot. By a bunch of Mormons. Jesus Christ. I'm going to I'm going to go get pounded in the dust by a guy with a mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Elder. Oh, dude. <laughs> Look, you are already guaranteed, nearly guaranteed right now to lose to Georgia, Florida, and Alabama every single year. Yeah. You start the year with three losses. Yeah. Every year. Yeah. And hell, if you get LSU or Auburn, you're probably losing four. Yeah. If you're as your floor, their crossover game is Alabama, right? That's one of them. That's their guaranteed crossover yeah. game. If you if you have a crossover. guaranteed crossover game with Alabama, you don't need to schedule a Power Five team ever. Don't don't do yeah. it. You have the best team in the country every year. Look. Just build in easy wins. Uh, and I'm yeah. not sure. Look, you're already shelling out millions and millions of dollars uh, to, to bring in, to, for, to fire uh, uh, Pruitt and to bring yeah. in Josh Heupel. Pay a few million more and cancel those Oklahoma and BYU games. Yeah. Go cancel get, them right go, now. Go get ULM on the schedule. They'll do it for like $5. <laughs> They'll do anything. You should get as many easy wins as you possibly can. We already know about SoCon Saturday. Good for yeah. them. Get three dumb G5 teams yeah. in your region. That's it. Yeah, and That's then like do. Charleston Southern. It's, it's all you got to do. It's very easy. Just give yourself a floor to win eight games a year. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's no reason not to at this point. You've you've got to. You have to build a program where you're winning eight games so that you can go into these recruiting areas yes. and say, hey, we're winning eight games and we would win more if you came to Tennessee. Right. Right. So your larger goal right now, I think what we're hitting on here, yeah, become a program that wins eight games every year. Become Iowa. Yes. The the, SE, the Iowa of SEC is going to be a top 15 team in talent every single year, by the yeah. way, if you're from that level. Yeah, and um, if you're winning eight with Tennessee talent, you're not even doing a great job of coaching. That's no, you're fine. Not. You don't have to be an amazing coach to right. do this. Um, and speaking of, Tennessee only has three seasons uh, where they've won eight or more games since <laughs> Philip Fulmer stopped being the coach. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you're, again, step one, get back to doing that. Yeah. Uh, it seems pretty easy with your schedule. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you have some of these stupid non-con games, but... Those are a few years away from being done. During the hypo era, you'll be done with those games. Yeah. Uh, Nebraska's not a threat to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there are only eight Power 5 programs who won eight or more games in the three consecutive years from 17 through 19. Yeah. I didn't count 2020, obviously, because uh, as an eight-game year, because a lot of teams play different numbers of schedules, stuff like that. It's hard to predict. 
Um, but if you won at least eight games from 17 through 19, and you managed to win two-thirds of your games in 2020, here's a list of programs that did that. Mm-hmm. Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Iowa, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Washington. Yeah. Being consistently good, performing at exactly the level you should be performing at, is your first step. And your floor should be eight games. Yeah. If you have top 15 talent, there's no reason to not win eight games. No reason. I mean, you. <laughs> it's like, if you're a top 15 team, you've won eight games. That's that's the way that, yeah. as, a, as a baseline. If you are just competent, if yeah. you drop maybe one, of, maybe you lose to Kentucky or Missouri or something like that yeah. every once in a while, your floor is still seven games to win. Yeah. Your floor. And that's not even if you get an easy draw from the West. If you get Mississippi State or something like yeah. that. I guess just Mississippi State is who I'm talking about. You, it, there's no reason for Tennessee <laughs> at a at a minimum to not be going to a bowl game every year. Every there's year. no reason. Right. Like a decent bowl game. You should be in the Outback Bowl every year at yes. least. You have the talent. Look, hopefully Heupel has the chops schematically to do this. Uh, I'll, I'll defer yeah. to you on that. Yeah. Um, at the very minimum, he's going to get you quarterback play a little bit better. I think we've seen he did ruin Mackenzie Milton. Mm-hmm. But I would say his overall quarterback play has been pretty damn good at UCF yeah. uh, during his tenure there. Uh, and Tennessee has not had a quarterback in a very, very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, are you ta- are you saying that uh, that Jarrett Guantanamo Bay is not getting it <laughs> not getting it done for you? Uh, Jarrett Guantanamo is the most New Jersey man <laughs> to ever live, and I love he's somehow up in Tennessee because yes. uh, I will say this: I took a little trip. I'm going to be canceled for this, but okay. I did take a little trip to uh, the Pigeon Forge area during the Gatlinburg area during okay. the pandemic. Yeah, uh, and me and a group of friends mostly hung out in a cabin. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to, you know, we're going to get trucks in the mountains. Just to hang out. Yeah. Do. yeah. Uh, we did briefly one day venture into downtown Gatlinburg, which okay. was somehow full of hundreds and hundreds of 300-pound New Jerseyans not wearing masks. <laughs> uh, there were guys with, you know... Uh, oh, man, you got to see that the, they were filming the Sopranos <laughs> remake. <laughs> the Trenton Fire Department was well represented down there, you know I mean? You have... Uh, all these people, oh, uh, all these just Jersey Italians just speaking with their hands. And I recognize, you know, yes, you see the hand yes, talk, you recognize yeah. it. Um, anyway, Jared Cortano followed his native uh, his native trek down to Tennessee to stay yeah. there. And it went terribly as it did for those yeah. people, too. Yeah, I uh, we, we can get into to sort of grouping these last ones together here so as to not take up too much time. Staff identity scheme and team identity. Um I, I have a pretty simple answer for this because I think that this is a, a school like we've talked about that should have the kind of talent where it doesn't really need to be doing a ton of fancy stuff schematically, mm-hmm. right? I think that Hy- that Heupel offensively at least is on the right track, right? I, I think that leaning into the fact that you're going to have better talent on the outside than all but three teams that you play, um, you know, get, leaning into the fact that if you have a decent quarterback, you should have a pretty good offense at Tennessee. Yep. Um, I think that this this spread stuff, this RPO stuff, for right now at least until it runs out of vogue in three years, because we are on a, a rapidly sort of, um, you know, innovate, innovation path right now where it's just evolving every single year. But being sort of not necessarily on the cutting edge, but at least doing the same shit that Alabama's doing, right? Mm-hmm. If if you're behind Alabama in innovation, something has gone wrong if you're Tennessee. And Jeremy Pruitt was behind Alabama pretty significantly. Don't... Well, I wouldn't even say that something's gone wrong. It means that you have no chance to win, right? Yeah, because if, if Nick you're... Nick Saban's pretty damn good at, at innovating and finding new trends, I would say. Maybe you yeah. disagree with me on that, but... 
either way, if you're behind them, you no longer have any chance whatsoever. Yeah, unless you are specifically committed to something wildly different. Yes. If you're running the triple, then it's fine that you're not running RPOs, right? Mm-hmm. But Tennessee wasn't committed to anything. It, Tennessee was committed to, we're going to play tough guy defense. And it's like, that's <laughs> not an ideology. That's sure that's isn't. like a thing that your coach <laughs> wants to do, I guess. Um, but it, offensively, just having a scheme that you are committed to, and I don't think it has to be anything fancy, like I said, just run what everybody else is running. It's easy. It's it's, it's very, very easy. That's why everyone's doing it. Um, and then defensively, sort of the same thing. Lean into that speed. Lean into your athleticism. You're in fucking Tennessee. You're in the South. You can get athletes. You can get really good cornerbacks. You can yeah. get really good linebackers. Um, and a surprisingly strong number of offensive linemen I've yeah. heard of the state in recent years, too. You yeah. have a lot of offensive line talent in the Tennessee area. Yeah, if you can't get really good line play in the South, that's another one of those where, like, what are you doing, are you doing? man? Yeah. I mean, they're, they've had, fallen off of trees out there. I mean, the Mays brothers, you have Bryn Tucker, you yes. have Drew Richmond, you yeah. have all these guys, uh, Trey Smith. Uh, Coming into the 2020 season, Tennessee's offensive line looked awesome, and yeah. they were just terrible. Terrible. It was like all five stars up there. Right. So hire a real offensive line coach. And, and when's the last time they had a a really good NFL defensive lineman. I don't know, man. It's ridiculous. A long it's, time. It's, they have talent there too. Yeah, yeah. They they pull in they pull in talent on the defensive line. Um, it's inexplicable. I, it seems like Heupel was on the right track with this. I don't know if they have a, a DC hired, but I think that Al Washington was <laughs> was the right was the right idea. Um, you know, getting somebody young who can recruit and, and seems to just yeah. Want to lean on energy and speed more than anything else? Um, my he guess is higher next. Yeah, yeah. My guess is that that Washington, if he was in charge of a defense, would be a four-two-five guy um, because that's what most sane coaches are doing right now. Um, hey, you know who else is a really good coach? It's a four-two-five guy who's who uh, is a really good recruiter too, who just got hired by your in, <laughs> <laughs> by your in-conference rival. Uh, who, who could oh, this be? Jamil Aday, man. Yeah. He's available. <laughs> oh wow! What if he had a specific experience recruiting exactly all the areas? you need to recruit and also was a really good defensive mind damn that would be wild well oh well it's too bad that no one like that exists um <laughs> what can you do but i think that that schematically speaking this is going to be one of the less complex ones because if you have top 15 talent you have top 15 talent you don't need to run the triple you know like we're going to talk about arizona probably eventually arizona needs to run the damn triple yes sir um, well Hmm, maybe, maybe we'll like, talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll look at. We're, we're looking into it. We'll circle um, back and touch yeah, base if, on if this. You're a, if you're a if you're a program that has lesser talent, then you have to do new things. You have to get creative. If you're Tennessee, you don't need to do all this stuff. You can. It would work if you wanted to run the triple at Tennessee. You could, yeah. but if you want to win a championship, you probably shouldn't. You know. Nope. If you want to win eight games, then yeah, run the triple. You'd win eight <laughs> games. You would win eight games real quick. Uh, I am not advocating the triple. I, I dissociate <laughs> myself here from Patrick Mayhorn. But like, I, I, the, one of the big candidates when when going out and you know looking to, to to hire for this job was Jamie Chadwell. I love Jamie Chadwell. Mm-hmm. I, I love Coastal Carolina. I don't think you have to do that at Tennessee. If I'm being honest, I don't think that. If you want to be one of the big boys, and I hate this, I hate that this is the way that college football works, but it is. Um, if you want to be one of the big boys, you don't really need to do that. You don't mm-hmm. need to get Chadwell, and I don't think that Chadwell would always run that system if need be. Um, in the same way that I don't know that the the service academy guys would stick truly to the the flex bone triple. Um, but you can go out and you can get a really damn good recruiter who just has a fine system, right? Yep. Um, just so long as it's not a meathead, dumbass defensive coordinator. Stop hiring meathead, dumbass defensive coordinators. It's not going to work. It never works. Almost everywhere. Is yeah. That's true. It's just a dumb thing to do. Like the, there's the, 
King of all meatheads, Mike Vrabel is currently winning. Yeah. But if you're not Mike Vrabel... And also, Mike Vrabel, he's a meathead, but he's also a really good coach. He's sure. a really smart defensive yeah. mind. He's just right, kind he's of He's the a, king of all meatheads. It's like Luke Fickle. Luke yeah. Fickle doesn't really look like he would know what he's talking about, but Luke Fickle is one of the most brilliant defensive minds in football. Luke Fickle and Mike Vrabel are the auric high yeah. to uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's orc or goblin. Yeah. yeah, and you have to... That's part of the vetting process. You have to you know talk to people and be like, does this guy actually know his shit or is he just sort of a, a hype speed, is he buzz. just sort of a hype man and Pruitt's just a hype man yeah. and if you had talked to Nick Saban you would have learned that mm-hmm. right go talk to Nick Saban about this yeah. don't don't just blindly say oh well he was a Saban DC it's like do you know that Saban runs that defense did you know that were you aware of that or <laughs> I've heard it once or twice <laughs> so uh, uh, should we uh, no, wrap up our thoughts here Pat yeah yeah I, I think so what is the ceiling here real quick um I mean, I don't think the ceiling for Tennessee is still national championships at this point, but yeah. I do think that Tennessee um, can contend for a top two finish in the division right now. And if you can do that, then all of a sudden you can reset your ceiling. Yeah. So Tennessee in its current iteration is very capable of being the number two team in the East. Um, you know, I think generally most years one of Florida or Georgia will be better than you. Um, but it's not guaranteed. I mean, there's yeah. every possibility Dan Mullen could leave the NFL or Kirby Smart could, they could finally get tired of him being Mark Rick 2.0 except yeah. with a better recruiting background. Um, and that leaves the door open for you. So right now your goal, get to number three every single year and then take a chance at number two. Yeah. Yeah, get to number three and even if you if you have to, get into that Glenn Mason territory, bring in a better coach and then see if you can get higher than that. You know? I'm with you. If, you know, unless that, that coach that you hire is, is, you know, originally is Lance Leopold, in which case just hold on to him until he retires. Yeah, just do not. Yeah, you hold on to that money yeah. train and you do not let go. So um, you have Josh Heupel develop your quarterbacks. Yes. You build your talent locally in a four to five hour radius from your campus. Um, you stop taking away the advantage you have in talent from yourself. Stop tying yes. one hand behind your back. Yeah. Um, Run a normal scheme. Just yes. run a regular ass game. You get rid of the meddling boosters and lunatics like Phil Fulmer, which yeah. that part's done. Um, and they have a competent AD now. So yeah, and you tell Josh Heupel to not take their shit because the thing about boosters and the reason I don't know if we explained this fully, not to go into too much of a thing. Mm-hmm. The reason that you do that, the reason that you come in like Nick Saban did at Alabama, and you you tell those boosters specifically. I get it. I appreciate your your contribution to the program. You guys got to leave me alone. The reason that you do that, and this sounds obvious, but it's worth saying, is because they're not football coaches. Mm-hmm. They're dumb guys with a lot of money. And you have to establish that earlier, or else it'll never yes. work. Yeah, you, you, can, you cannot you, let that go for two or yeah, three and it's years not and that you, try to do it. It's not that you have to neg them or anything. You mm-hmm. don't have to come in and be rude, because you need to keep those people on board yes. to not get fired. But you have to... Mac Brown did this at Texas, too. You have to set the boundary with those guys I'm the football coach. You don't tell me who the starting running back is. Mm-hmm. I make that decision. Yes. You can hang out in the VIP section, mm-hmm. right? You can you throw can watch your, practice. You can throw your money around. Yeah. You cannot be the coach. Yeah. <laughs> I get paid yeah. a lot of money to do this. You can tell your opinion. Some of the guys on the internet. Yeah. Uh, and you it's, can have a, that's, a chat where you all talk to each other, but yes. you do not tell me what to do. Yeah, and that's hard to do. It's a scary thing to do for a coach, and I don't think Josh Heupel's that guy, but who knows? Maybe he is. Yeah, maybe Danny White's the shield for him. I think Danny maybe. White hire was so celebrated that maybe they have White as the shield for him. It could, it could be. I, I think that Danny White is the right guy for that for that spot. But um, yeah, I, I think that that's I think that that's all right. You know, get to get to three and then build out from there. Title is probably not in the realm of possibility, but the talent is there that you can be a really good program. I, I think right. that that's, I think that's the idea. Yeah. Bide your time, wait for someone to slip up. And yeah. Wait for Georgia or Florida to fuck it up. Ryan, I think we fixed it. I think we fixed Tennessee. Tennessee's good again. 
Let's um, go. All right, let's get out of here. Uh, thank you so much for checking out Flip the Field or Flipping the Field, um, the college football podcast about all of college football. Uh, this was a blast. <laughs> yeah, I had a good time, man. Yeah, we're, we're going to be doing these weekly, um, probably Mondays moving forward. I know this one's going up on Monday. Um, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends that there's a new college football podcast on the uh, proverbial college football street. I think people are going to, to enjoy this. If you like college football, if you have friends that like college football, please let them know. I, I think it's going to be good stuff, and um, the five-star reviews help us to sort of spread the show get more listeners and that's just you know helps the show in general um ryan where can folks find you uh yeah i'm on twitter at b1g underscore ryan um i'm very mean on twitter yeah (laughs) please don't feel obligated to follow me i'm not that great of a follow um but if you like people who make fun of urban meyer yeah i'm your guy um i'm patrick underscore mayhorn i'm actually sort of not on twitter anymore i've spent like 20 minutes a day on twitter this week which i'm I'm pretty happy about um so more importantly my writing is at the outside zone newsletter on substack which is available three times a week for just five dollars a month um do we have anything else you ready to get out of here let's get out of here man all right i'll talk to you next week sounds good buddy